Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Control Port Podcast. Episode 289, my name is Benjamin Yoder. We're almost at episode 300. I mean, it, it's going to be true to One Control Port Podcast form, where we will not do anything special for episode 300, but I guess we're getting to the point that we can start the countdown, right? What is that, like two and a half months from now? So in two and a half months, we might be at 300 finally. So look forward to that. Um, today's episode, we're going to be doing a few things. One is probably the majority of the episode is going to be talking about a video game that I played um, called Blue Legend of Water. Um, it's a PlayStation game, so we'll get into that um, and just kind of give a full rundown of that game. Uh, we're also going to do a couple of little small news stories. You know, we're getting close to the holidays. There's not a lot happening anymore. And the Game Awards are done. And we talked about, I think, anything that I was interested in talking about from the Game Awards itself. So I think it's going to be a little quiet on the news front these next coming weeks. But there is, a, I think, something Final Fantasy related in the news section. Um, there's also actually something that's not really news, but I thought was really cool. So I wanted to highlight it. And it's this old story about Halo from earlier this year that I completely missed. And I thought it was a really cool thing. So I want to talk to you guys about that, um, a little bit. And we'll also touch briefly on, uh, everybody's favorite video game, the first soldier, Final Fantasy VII. Sometimes I'm like curious of like how many people listening care anything about the first, first soldier, but you know, it's a part of my, my video game experience right now. So you're going to hear about that. And also briefly talk about Chocobo GP2, or not GP2, like the original Chocobo GP, well, not the original Chocobo GP, but the Switch version of Chocobo GP, <laughs> um, because I, I wasn't expecting to revisit that game this year, and I did revisit it, and um, was kind of pleasantly surprised by what I found, so we're going to talk a little bit about that at the very end of the show as well, so, but to get into the main part of the show, we're going to talk about Blue, Legend of Water, which is a Hudson Soft PlayStation 1 game, actually, so, um, I, I don't want to call this like a diving game. You might look at the actual cover art and be like, oh, this is like an underwater diving game kind of thing. But I'd say it's more of like a swimming adventure puzzle game, plus you have a dolphin kind of thing. Um, but before we get too deep into it, I, I want to just kind of note something real quick. Um, I So I ended up playtesting this title. The actual fan translation for this only came out on um, Wednesday, but I was reached out to and asked to, to uh, participate in the playtesting. Um, I don't really think that's a conflict of interest personally. I mean, Hilltop, the guy who who does the translation or like runs the project at least he does have like a patreon and I don't, I don't know what goes on with that patreon personally but like i don't get any money from this kind of thing so like i i don't feel like that's a real issue but just thought i'd give you a heads up just in case really i just played a video game and looked out for like typos and stuff like that is really all that really happened with that so um and also it's worth noting that like any footage that i show this game at any point will probably be from the pre-translation uh, pre-final translation release. So if you do see something weird in there, um, uh, ideally, ideally it's been fixed in the final build. So, so yeah. Um, but the reason I wanted to kind of define this game as like not a diving game first and foremost is because this is not like a game like Endless Ocean on the Wii where you're going underwater, you're exploring, you're looking at fish, you're documenting those fish in a book kind of thing. That's, that's often like an element of diving games and things like that. But this game really doesn't have any of that. Um, and, and it's not really like a big, like, open-ended place that you can kind of go and explore kind of thing. It's actually a fairly linear um, game where you kind of go underwater. You have these, like, kind of pockets of ocean you swim through. And then at the end of certain parts of those pockets, there's, like, a sunken ship. There's, like, a ruins. There's really not a lot, actually. But there's a few kind of key areas that you kind of go visit and and revisit. And and the point of kind of going to those areas really is to go and explore and look for items and and probably most importantly kind of solve puzzles and and or find keys that open up doors kind of thing. Uh, the the big thing is just getting 
getting access to more places in these spaces that you go to. So you're looking for, you know, those keys, you're looking for a puzzle that opens a door, then you have to go and solve that puzzle kind of thing. If you ever played like a Tomb Raider of the era or like a uh, Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine, you know, it's going to be very similar to those kind of things. Um, and it's just kind of like pretty straightforward puzzle solving overall from from that kind of gameplay aspect. So, so really what this game does to differentiate itself is uh, add in the underwater part of this game, right? So like a lot of other underwater games I've played, you know, what this really does is it kind of just adds a additional bit of tension to kind of everything you do in a game kind of thing, right? And what that what that means for each game depends on the genre of the game in a lot of ways. Um, but because this is a, a kind of puzzle game, what this ends up being is a, a game where you kind of have to control a timer while you're solving puzzles. So you can obviously go and like sit in air pockets and take all the time to think about what what you're doing in a puzzle. But if you want to go actually like look at the puzzle and try to solve the puzzle, you have to be fairly quick about it kind of thing. Um, and it's it, so in some ways you can kind of think of it like a self-controlled timer in a lot of ways. Um, and and in, in the balance of these kind of underwater games often comes down to like how accessible is air. You don't want it to be so accessible that it's like never a threat to the player, um, but you don't want it to be... Um, you know, uh, uh, so inaccessible that, you know, you don't have, you, ha you have to go and like solve a puzzle as quickly as possible. And you have to be perfect in your execution kind of thing. You need to leave leeway and stuff like that. And I think this game generally does a good job of finding that balance. So it adds just like a little bit of extra tension to all aspects of this game as you kind of have this ongoing air meter in the top right corner of the screen. Um, but it's never like something that's so oppressive that it becomes like really, really annoying. Um, so that's kind of, I think the, 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 even though it's not a unique gimmick, I think that's like really what makes this game stand out from like a gameplay perspective overall. Now there's like a secondary aspect of this game, like on the box art itself, there's just literally like a, I think it's a girl and a dolphin sitting on the box art. If you're watching the video version podcast, the box is behind me here. Um, and, and so this dolphin buddy, so basically you have like a dolphin buddy with you. Um, and so this dolphin buddy is somebody who can help you in like a, a variety of different ways. He's a little AI companion that kind of follows you around and you can go into the menu and change him to like different types of modes that he's in. So you have like a search mode where basically if he sees anything of interest, he'll go and like point it out and be like, and go and like, you know, point at it. And then uh, you also have like a co-op mode that basically he'll help you do something. Most of the time it's just like push something. So like a boulder you need to push. So you go and he'll help you push the boulder if he's in co-op mode. There's a standby mode where he just stays in one spot, which, you know, most of the time isn't really relevant, but you'll find occasional spots where there's like a little switch that you'll need to like leave him on while you go off and do something else to make sure you can keep the door open so he can come through to it kind of thing. And then finally, there's like an escort mode. And the escort mode is maybe the one that's a little... Um, confusing on exactly when it's useful at times, but overall it really just is a way for you to kind of like grab onto your dolphin buddy and he'll kind of help you swim, swim up currents and things like that. There's a couple of other implementations of this later on that I don't want to get too much into just because it is, it goes a bit more in detail into like the story and where things go, but overall it is just kind of a way for you to kind of like grab onto your dolphin buddy and use some of their skill sets to um, help you out in, in some particular situations. Um, it's a cool gimmick and like on the, like as a selling point, I I think it's a cool selling point overall um but it is something that i don't think is like super well utilized throughout most of the game i think there's maybe like two puzzles that i can think of off the top of my head that really stood out to me as like oh this is like a neat use of this dolphin character kind of thing um but most of the time the game seems to i don't know if it has to tell you to use it but it will often offer you the information um very quickly and be like you should use this to solve this problem kind of thing right 
And so a lot of times it feels almost like every time you interact with this mechanic, there's almost like a tutorial aspect to it of just the game telling you, hey, you should kind of think. Um, so most of the time, I think the dolphin is um, a part of this game that doesn't really hurt it in any way. But it, as, for as long as he swims around you as you go through the entire video game, it, it feels like it's just really not the focus. Um, Maya, who's the main character of this game, is is really going to be the one solving most of the puzzles in, in pretty traditional ways that you'd expect other than the fact that, like, you know, you're underwater. So when you're putting, like, the different pieces of a stone tablet together, you have to go swim around and pick up all the pieces and put it on the wall kind of thing rather than, like, putting it together in your inventory or something like that. Um, so the dolphin, who's who has a name, his name is Luca. He's actually, <laughs> I don't know, he's not really an important character, um, but I think he's, I think he is important as a whole because he's important to Maya specifically. And this is a game that, in my opinion, is mostly about Maya in a lot of ways. Um, but it, Luca himself is kind of like a a. Um, I guess a, a grounding point for her, especially like early on. So kind of, kind of the setup for this game initially is you are coming onto this like research vessel essentially. And your, your dad is the head of this research vessel. And so you're coming on this ship and there's like a bunch of coworkers. You don't know any of them kind of thing. And, and so this dolphin for, I don't remember if they ever tell you, but for some reason you've had this relationship with this dolphin at some point. So he's kind of like a nice little anchor point for Maya as a character, as like a companion kind of thing. So when she is kind of like walking around the ship and stuff, she has kind of this character that is like, or I guess you could say her friend in, in some ways, right? Um, which is kind of a weird way to put that, but it's not like the ship's like super oppressive either or something like that, right? It, 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 the characters overall in this game, I think are, are, are really fun. They, they may be a little light in terms of like depth and a lot of them like, I think rely pretty heavily on different types of stereotypes for you to kind of figure out, you know, what type of characters they are. Um, but I do think they're like really fun to interact with. Um, <laughs> this game kind of reminds me of, you know, I mentioned the fact that like your dad takes you on this ship or whatever. I can't remember why he brings you on the ship, but he's bringing you on the ship. And, and like, you're just kind of going around and just like talking to his coworkers while they work and stuff like that. And so like, if you ever went to your dad's office when you were a kid and just went around and talked to the coworkers, there's this kind of like weird, like thing where they're like, everyone's going to be really nice to you, but also they have to do their job kind of thing. So they kind of somewhat ignore you. So they have like these really cute interactions with you. Um, and they talk just kind of like vaguely nice to you as a person. But at the end of the day, you're kind of none of their business. So most of the time it's just like they're eating or, or working on a computer or something like that. And they just like turn and talk to you for a little bit. And that's, that's kind of it. Um, but it does lead to like these little cute things of just like characters being kind of playful and things like that. There's just like one guy. I, 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 I promise I've mentioned them multiple times on Twitter, but Queen Long, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. I think it's a Chinese name or whatever. Um, but like, he's just like this really quiet guy. And like, I feel like half the time Maya is just like, not sure what to do with like interactions with him. So it's just this really awkward exchange every time. And I feel like every character has this little like gimmick that, that kind of makes Maya's interactions with them just like really fun and really cute overall um so <laughs> i guess you could call this like a, a take your daughter to work day simulator in some ways except for you're you're playing the daughter so i guess your dad's taking you to work kind of thing so um but i feel like these like little interactions and things like this are kind of like the highlight of this game's story to me overall um the actual main plot i don't know I, i'm kind of okay with the main plot i think it's fine um basically kind of where this story goes is that you know you're coming to the ship and then you go to sleep and, and then some voice appears in your head that's like, come down to the ruins 
And like your dad's like, do not go down to the ruins. He does not know this voice thing's happening, but he keeps telling you, do not go down to the ruins. But like within 24 hours, you are down in those ruins. <laughs> um, so your dad keeps telling you not to do this, but you continue to return to the ruins kind of thing. Um, and so, so she's going to call down to the ruins and then like basically the ruins like activate to her. And so she opens up doors that nobody's been able to get into before and things like that. And so initially it starts out as this thing of like, um, curiosity for her kind of thing. But as as time goes on, the the crew kind of realizes of, oh, she's like going down there and like finding all this interesting stuff. And so even though your dad's like, I don't really want you down there because it's dangerous, but these doors are opening for you, so please just go get more stuff kind of thing. So you just kind of start working with the crew more directly um, kind of by the end of the story kind of thing. But it, it, it kind of culminates down to, I feel like the kind of usual story with these kind of ruins-based games of just like, who done it? Who who made the ruins, right? Um, is it like, is it God? Is it aliens? Is it like old humans with technology kind of thing, right? And and so you know, do the video game lottery of of who is responsible kind of thing. Um, so it it's kind of interesting to some degree though because it it is like this kind of big story that's happening on the side, and it just doesn't feel very important. At least to me, it didn't feel very important. Um, and it, and it feels like the story is much more about like Maya's space and all this stuff that's happening. And so you're you're learning about all this through Maya's perspective, and Maya as like a teenage girl does not seem to care about what's going on otherwise. She's just there to be like, why am I getting called down to these ruins? Why do all these doors open for me? What's up kind of thing. And so it's like, I think it puts on blinders in terms of like what it focuses on the storytelling and in really smart ways to make it feel like it is a, a story almost solely from the perspective of, I, I assume Maya is a teenage girl. I don't, I don't actually don't know her age, but I assume that is her role in this world is that she is, she is a minor minor who, who is not like a fully grown adult who like knows what's going on with these things. She's more focused on what's going on in her day to day life kind of thing. So I think it's like pretty good um, with that. Although your, your mileage of what you'll get out of the story seems like it might vary. So like there's, there's different endings you can get. I got like, I think, so like your endings are marked by like the number of symbols you get. I don't know 100% how it works, but I got like four out of five symbols. So I guess I got like a four out of five ending or something like that. I don't know. Um, and so it seems like that changes like the content of the story based off the things you do in the game. And, and sometimes it literally can just be like how you perform. So like in my case, at the end of the game, they'll tell you like, hey, maybe you should have disarmed the bomb earlier. Because at some point there's a bomb in this game and you need to disarm it. Um, and I, I literally cut the wire at like the last second mark kind of thing. So apparently I needed to cut that wire a lot earlier to get a better ending, or at least I was a part of getting a better ending kind of thing. So there is that kind of aspect to it. So I don't know, like I only got that one ending, so I don't know what the situation is going to be depending on the different types of endings you get. But most of the, most of the game feels like if you're just paying attention to what's happening and like, if a character goes like, Hey, remember that thing that was like, in the ruins that you couldn't do, what if you go back and do that thing real quick? And as long as you take the time to go back and do that thing and like not just go off to the next major story point, um, it seems like generally you'll probably at least get pretty far along. Um, So, and the game, it took me like eight hours to get through the game, but ultimately I don't think it's like a super long game. And I think once you know what you're doing, like you don't need to go talk to everybody on the ship all the time kind of thing, right? As long Once you know what's going on in that section and what you need to do, you can kind of speed run through that kind of thing, right? 
Um, so I think if you do want to get all the endings, it wouldn't be like a huge, huge deal. But also, I don't really know like how different all the endings are um, either. But uh, thankfully, like it being in English, I think is a really big help with that part of the game a lot. And and also like I think in appreciating the dialogue and being on the ship kind of thing, right? Um, I actually went and like I was kind of curious because you know you guys know I I'll play these games sometimes and I I just don't know I don't know Japanese very well, right? So I can read very very little, and then I use machine translation and online wikis. I take everything. I I can and shove it together to like create this situation where I can play this video game and try to understand what's happening right beyond just like do I understand how the mechanics of this game work like I like to try to figure out the story and stuff like that and make sure I have a ba- understanding of the backgrounds and all that stuff and and so like uh, there is a very good possibility someday I would have played this before there's a fan translation kind of thing but there are other people who went and played this game and finished it and wrote up stuff and did videos on it. And um, I went back and looked at those because I was kind of curious, like, what their reception was of the game. And, and it feels like the kind of the takeaway a lot of time was like, oh, it's like a bizarre, weird kind of game. And I think that's because of kind of where the story goes. Again, I don't really think it's that much of a shocker where it goes personally. Um, but I think you kind of do miss maybe the the kind of like crew aspect of it and like how important that stuff is in my eyes kind of thing although i think some people kind of got hit on the mark because the general vibe when you're on the ship walking around and talking to people is like very chill overall the music's very chill again everyone's just like sitting at their desk working kind of thing it's kind of like a fun thing to just kind of walk around but i think adding on that dialogue and knowing what's being said is like an important part of that so i'm glad it got uh, translated in his English. And again, super thanks to everybody who, who did actual work on this kind of thing. Um, cause you know, playtesting it, you know, for the most part, I wouldn't say it was like that much different than me just playing the video game per usual. I just kind of, you know, basically, you know, went around and, and clicked on everything. And I think maybe like the key things that I did different, I think was I, I kind of just read stuff aloud more just to make sure that like, I just even when I'm editing videos and things like that or scripts, I, I read stuff aloud to catch stuff. So it's just easier for me than that. And then, you know, if I found something, I might have to pause the game and take time to write some notes. So like when I said I played through the game, it took like eight hours. Maybe it was like a little um, uh, shorter than that if I wasn't doing that, but not really a big thing. I think the one thing that maybe um, would have affected my experience as a playtester that, that it would have caused me to like have a different opinion on the game possibly is there is one puzzle probably about like halfway through the game and the hint for that puzzle, how it was translated at the time was not um, descriptive enough. And, and eventually I didn't like inquire about it until like I was, this was a, during the food poisoning saga. <laughs> um, so I didn't inquire about it for a couple days, but we did uh, eventually get like an updated translation and that, that um, solved kind of my issue with that pro- that puzzle. But the bigger thing is I think the puzzle was just kind of tedious as a whole in general, because it basically asks you to like move these gems from these like statue hands and you have to like weigh them and you only get two chances to weigh them. Then you have to reset the entire room and reweigh them all. And it's, it's just kind of tedious, but I think it would have been as tedious if I knew from the start what I was trying to do versus you know what I was like when I was trying to solve the pro- the puzzle in the, in the incorrect way um it was obviously more tedious because I kept having to do this so that's like the one part of the experience that was maybe affected by the fact that like I was playing with a unfinished version of that game and also you know I I was in a situation where it might be a little more confusing um I don't really know like how people who played it without English got past that part I will say um the the two people I looked into it that did uh do some some significant coverage of it. I think both of them did not read Japanese. So I don't know if there's like an online guide somewhere that they were able to follow or anything like that. But um, but yeah, so anyways, it's very cool that it's in English and very, very playable. But I think that's really the only thing that really stood out to me is like, 
the one hiccup. Otherwise, I just played the video game more or less how I normally played it, which is go around and click on everything. I, I don't do it on stream as much because I'm trying to like save you guys from from my weird little things. But like if the game is small enough, I'll go click on everything, read every little bit of dialogue of stupid stuff. And I may not consume that dialogue, but at least I'm looking at it kind of thing. Um, kind of thing. So anyways, um, but yeah, like I said, uh, I don't really know the full d- deal with this group and who's involved and stuff like that. Cargaden, which um, we've talked about before, we played in their Napletail um, translation. Um, she was involved in this project as lead translator, but uh, Hilltop is kind of the, the the lead name on the project at the very least. So, um, and he's previously translated like Racing Lagoon. I don't know anything about Racing Lagoon, so I can't help you there. <laughs> but uh, more important for us, uh, Hilltop is the one who translated Aconcagua, which again I have not played this translation of Aconcagua, but Aconcagua is a very cool game, and uh, you know I played it back in like. 2014 or something like that and i love that game um so and props to anybody who's gonna fan translate that game uh i did go back and like watch the ending just to get figure out what was going on with the uh the antagonist in that game because it's a little confusing to do that without knowing japanese but um but yeah akakagwa is great in my opinion if you're gonna play one of two games play akakagwa go play akakagwa if you haven't played akakagwa but blue is is a very fun uh little uh uh puzzle game as well and i think it's if if you, if you can go ahead and 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 you know throw in a couple hours or something like that or a couple yeah a couple hours just to see how you like it i think you'll get an idea if it's gear kind of thing and then you know from there finishing the game isn't going to take that much longer it's going to take like another four four hours or something like that on top of that so highly recommended decent diving game kind of thing i never know like um <laughs> what like, sometimes I, i'm, I'm kind of split i'm bringing up like blueport j in situations like this sometimes because blueport j is a game that inherently has like sexual connotations right so like it, it, there's problems with that game in a lot of ways but i feel like blueport j might be like it's a different type of game than like a blue but it is a game that i think ultimately I think does a better job of like establishing a difference between like the casual, just like swimming around parts. And then like the, Oh God, I'm drowning parts kind of that aspect of the game. And I think it just comes more from like the setting and the story and all that stuff kind of thing. So anyways, uh, I would love to do another Blueport J thing, but I'm, I kind of gotten a little antsy about doing any kind of like stuff that has like major sexual content connotations to it. It's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's not like, Blueport J is not like an erotic game per se, but it's, once you know what's going on with the developer Blueport J, it gets a little more antsy to talk about that game. So anyways, there's a vague story for any of you people that don't know what's going on with Blueport J or Fox Eye. Uh, but, you know, Blue Legend of Water is a safe way to enjoy a very similar experience from that. So, so yeah. Anyways, it's Patreon time. Welcome to the Patreon Corner. Thank you again, Henry Dagger. Paul Daniel, Jillian, and discreet. I don't know why we did. Remember the, was it the guy in Age of Empires, the Wolulu guy? I forget, I forget what he was. He's like a little priest guy or something like that. Um, that was like a big meme for a while. So I, maybe maybe you guys know what that is. I, I liked Age of Empires too when I was a kid. It was a, a fun game. Um, I have not revisited it in recent years. I, I've not played like real time strategy games basically since I was like twelve. So. It's been a long time. Patreon, though. Thank you. Thank you, Patreon people. If you give me $5 on Patreon, you get bonus content. Um, last time, we I gave you that little uh, video that insight into what's happening early next year. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Um, so what I was going to do this time... Actually, I didn't talk about this in the blue section. Um, 
So one thing I looked into with Blue after I finished it was the um, artist, because I really like the character portraits in that game a lot. And come to find out, the character artist in that game was the guy who did uh, like Hotel Dusk and, and, and Trace Memory character designs, things like that. I was like, oh, like this always gave me those vibes. So like that makes a ton of sense, actually. Um, and so I tweeted about it and I reached out to the, the developer and stuff like I, I'm a little maybe too, too um, gung-ho on Twitter when reaching out to Japanese people, despite not knowing Japanese. But, um, I try to do it in, like, tasteful ways at the very least. But anyway, so, um, I posted up a whole scene thing, and, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of fun, because he, he got to see these characters that he designed, like, 25 years ago that he hasn't seen since then, basically, and, and sharing that with him. So, it was a fun little thing. But anyways, um, it made me start to think about, like, the fact that I did not really have... I've not done anything with seeing in a very long time. Um, and while I don't plan to do anything with seeing here in the near future, honestly, um, I did write an article a while ago, um, a long time ago that was about kind of seeing when at the end of that, um, um, developer's life kind of thing, right? Cause the, the company shut down, um, I think maybe before last window came out in Europe, um, but the company shut down right after that release basically. Um, so I thought it'd be fun to go do an article reading for that. So I think we'll do that as uh, the article reading for this week. So look forward to that as a Patreon member. Learn about what's going on with Sing in 2012. I don't know. I don't, I don't know when I wrote the article. It's been a while, though. So I think in that article, I talk about why I think Sing died. So that would be a fascinating thing to see, like, what exactly I was thinking. Because I'm going to guess you guess whatever I say is probably very wrong. Or at least I disagree with whatever I said then kind of thing. So... Anyways, the other thing you can do on a Patreon, though, if you donate $5, is ask a Patreon question. So every Monday at 3 p.m., there goes a question uh, post that goes up on Patreon, and you can ask me a Patreon question like Jillian does every week. Jillian asked us the question, what game areas, regions, and levels do you love the aesthetic of? Uh, I took a few different approaches to this. One is some direct um, areas I want to talk about. Some is more vague, and some are like direct, but also vaguely there are similar things that I like in other games as well. Um, first and foremost, I want to say uh, I love just snow in games. I think snowy areas are my favorite places in most video games. I had a discussion a while ago with somebody who was a game developer, and they were working on an area that was all snow. And like it was kind of interesting to talk to them about it because they're like, I hate working in snow areas. And, and the reason why they hated it is because of um, the fact that you have to do it's really hard to break up the environment because so much of it is just white. So you have to do things to kind of make things look more interesting. And it's a lot harder work than if you're in like a green like area kind of thing, right? Or like a, a place with a bunch of foliage and stuff like that. So that was like a really fascinating thing. But I think honestly, the part of the reason why I like snow areas is because of kind of the vast expanse of white. I've, I think I've talked about this before with like Killer7 and how I kind of like just like the vague like lack of boundaries at times and um also like El Shaddai where it's just like the world just seems to keep going and I think snow areas if they don't do that they often remind me of that I think it's also why I like big desert areas as well from time to time so that's one thing I really like um I really like the nightclub scene in 007 Goldeneye um for the Wii the Wii version um uh, and this is like a complete remake of the game but this is a really awesome area of the game where um, you go in a nightclub and there's a ton of people in there and um, you're tracking some guy down or whatever. But um, this is actually like less of an aesthetic thing and more of a technical thing, actually. So there's like this really cool like club music going on. You have all these people jumping up and, and down. But, you know, if you're trying to populate a nightclub and a Nintendo Wii game, you are not going to make that nightclub look bumping 
with full 3D polygon character models. That that video game is not running if you can freely explore it kind of thing, right? Um, and so what they do is they have these large 2D cutouts. So have you ever seen like an, an audience or like, you know, bystanders of a race? You'll see these where they're like they're 2D sprite cutouts of people kind of thing. And in the case of the nightclub, you can't see them because everything's too dark. So it's basically just these like black silhouettes, shadow figures kind of thing. And they're all up there dancing and all that stuff. But you're in a nightclub and you are on the nightclub floor. And I think like in a lot of ways, a developer would say, don't let them get on the nightclub floor. Don't let them see those things up close. It will not look good. But full props to them of letting you go to that nightclub floor and stand right in front of these like 2D sprite people who like rotate with you as you walk around and stuff like that. And like it was just it was such like a video game moment. And the fact that the developer let you get so close to that video game moment and like the atmosphere of the nightclub and the lights flashing and the music playing like something about that was really special to me. I don't really know why. I don't know if that really fits into this perfectly well, but I thought it was worth bringing up because I think that's a fascinating moment. And it is like a place in a game that I just really love. And a lot of it comes from the fact that the Wii couldn't do it kind of thing. So I actually played the PS3 version of this game. And I remember that it did not look as interesting in the PS3 version. Cause I think they literally just rendered out like low poly character models and stuff like that, that were like, you know, they looked fine kind of thing. So, but I thought the Wii one was fascinating cause they had to like create this density with like the least amount of uh, resources possible kind of thing. And the fact they let you get right up on it. Super, super respect that. Um, Skies of Arcadia. I, I couldn't like speak, pick one place in skies of arcadia but like in general i think that that world's like really colorful i guess i don't really have much to say about that because it is just like a very general world thing we ski i mean i talk about we ski all the time i just love that um you know snow vacation kind of thing but in my opinion we ski is best when you play it at nighttime you, it's not like a, a, a real-time clock thing it's like an inter- like you just choose do i want to play at night or do i want to play at day kind of thing but i love you know being on that dark mountain and with the snow we're back at snow territory here and then in that dark mountain you have like the fireworks going off and just like what they do with the sound and like blasting the speakers out and like distorting it in a way that it sounds like it's like speakers way above you i think they do a lot with the atmosphere of that game in general and the how it looks and i love just like i mean that's like part of the the joy of we ski is going up and down that mountain in that environment and in this very like vacation kind of feeling atmosphere kind of thing um i really dig hamlets in games so that's like little small towns mostly like mmos i feel like because they often because mmos have a lot of frivolous content in them they often like the hamlets feel fleshed out in a way that i feel like a lot of games don't really do just like little small towns with little stories and people who are important to that town kind of thing so I really like that. I guess that's like an aesthetic thing. That's not really an aesthetic thing though. Any other aesthetics thing in here? I like shopping malls. Blue Stinger. Blue Stinger is an amazing shopping mall. Real Heroes Firefighter has like a shopping mall you go in and fight a fire in. That's pretty cool. I just like looking at all the toys and stuff like that. But like being in this place that's like a very normal place and then like having to do something extraordinary in it. I think that's always like a really fun thing. And and like when, when they do a really good job of like not making it feel like a video game environment. When it feels more like a store than like everything has waist high cover kind of thing. So I think it's like a general rule, not just those two games. Those are the two that came to mind. And then uh, growing up, I really liked beach levels as well. Like Sonic Adventure, I remember digging the first level of that game. Fantasy Star Online, Episode 2, there's a beach area there. Really dug the beach levels, things like that. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I think I think it maybe went a little off track there a little bit, but at the end of the day, I think that's that's that's, that's plenty of plenty of options there. I have a few more things here, but looking at them, I'm like, eh, I don't really think these fit actually in hindsight. So anyways, thank you again for the Patreon question. Thank you again for supporting me on Patreon. I appreciate it, and 
I will get you that uh, article reading here in the next uh, week. So, on Wednesday. Per use. Per use. Um, anyways. Let's get in some uh, some very minimal news. I only have two stories here. One is that crusty Halo story. Let's let's start the new Halo, the new story here real quick. The actual new story. Final Fantasy Pixel Remasters got rated for Switch and PS4. This is the Final Fantasy um, one through six remakes that uh, or I guess uh, remakes remasters whatever you want to call them. I don't I don't really know. They call them remasters. We'll call them Square Enix's remaster thing or whatever. Um, but these are like, you know, uh, the, the the Final Fantasy 1 through 6 thing that Square Enix did some work on. I don't exactly know. There's like so many versions of those games. It's hard to remember what did what, where, like which ones kept what mechanics and which ones were more faithful to the original. Um, but I, I think it's cool that they are making these available. I think these pixel remasters definitely, at least on the surface level, are a lot more appealing than some of the mobile ports that have been coming out before. Um, so it's really cool to see these um, uh, get released on a platform that I think it's PC and mobile only right now. Um, so I think uh, the, coming to Switch and PS4 is an awesome thing and making those games available as well. Um, I'm always a big fan of making those games available in their original form as well, just in case somebody wants to play it that way. I'm a little less big on like the, like, I, I, it's always cool to have as many versions available as possible, but like, I don't know how long you need to make like the PlayStation 1 version of Final Fantasy VI available, right? Like there's a very slim gr- group of people who played that game and appreciated like it as it was that way. But I think the, usually the original one and then the remastered one, I think those should both be available if possible most of the time. But anyways, that's cool. The old crusty Halo thing. So this is something that is like five or six months old at this point, but I just recently found out about it. I don't know how this happened, but and I ended up watching the Halo 2 E3 demo that like apparently was like a nightmare to put together and like was at the end of the day never ended up in the the final game because it was like designed in a way that was not going to work with final halo 2 and you know if you don't if you ever looked into it and halo at this point is not like a huge huge franchise anymore it's a big franchise but not one that like matters that much halo 2 had a very turbulent development cycle and they had to like cut the end of the game and all that stuff but um but anyway, so there's a lot of stuff that happened with this game, but, but, and so I was watching that demo, just kind of curious at what was going on with it. And I watched the final game and, and like, they're, yeah, they're completely different. Like the scenario is kind of similar, but they're completely different in terms of their structure. Um, but what's really cool about this new story is, uh, or this, this old news story is I, I was not aware that, um, in the modding scene, um, there are people that are going and and recreating the content from past old Halo games. And that includes that E3 demo, um, but also bringing in like old beta versions of Master Chief's armor set and things like that. And, you know, obviously we've talked about this kind of stuff before with like, you know, people recreating old demos with like Ocarina of Time from like different trade shows based off the leaked information we have, things like that. But in the case of this one, it's actually an officially sanctioned thing. And um, 343, who's kind of the current parent of Halo outside of Microsoft itself um, is involved in this. And I think that's really cool that they have like kind of the official blessing for this stuff. Um, I didn't read the whole post. It is a very, very long post. And when they talked about this originally um, and they kind of went through everything they're trying to put back in the game and they plan to get it all running in the main game. And maybe at this point, like I didn't do the digging. Maybe it's already in there and I'm just not aware of it. But um, I just thought the, the concept is cooler than the actual thing at the end of the day, I think for me, like I don't really care about going and checking this stuff out. I just think it's really neat that they're doing this. Um, but uh, the only thing that's not really clear to me from from just skimming over it was, um, you know, is Bungie involved, the original makers of these Halo games and, and how much of the original assets are they actually able to go and get? Um, and how much is stuff that they're having to just having to recreate from like the images and stuff out there and basically build from scratch. Now, some things can never be a hundred percent, you know, um, 
recreated. That Halo demo, as far as I'm aware, the Halo E3, 2 E3 demo was never playable. Um, so it was something that was built for somebody to do an E3 show floor demo, or in, in the case of that one, it may have been literally just to make that video. So like there, the, the, the scripting and the AI was never built to work with that stage kind of thing. So they have to kind of build something that's, you know, interesting and playable to fans, but is also faithful to that original demo kind of thing. So I used to really poo poo these kind of things and being like, well, they should just wait until like something else leaks out about the, like the, the actual demo leaks out. And then I like, part of me is like, well, it creates confusion of like, is this a real thing that happened or is it a, like how much is real? How much is fake? All that stuff. Um, but ultimately I think at the end of the day, um, making this stuff in a way that somebody could experience, as closely to what is essentially, for the most part, you know, lost content at this point. Um, to learn more about a game's development and its history, I think, is um, is somewhat important kind of thing. Um, but, you know, obviously, context is the big thing, right? And making sure that the player understands, hey, this Halo level did not actually function properly in the demo. It was just for a showcase. But here's this thing we made so you could kind of have that experience. The experience that they were trying to promise to you at E3 here's what that would have been, hopefully, kind of thing. So I thought it was just really cool that they officially sanctioned it kind of thing. So anyways, those are my two tiny news stories this week. Um, the last two things I want to do is talk about um, First Soldier and Chocobo GP. Ch- First Soldier, I have a particular goal in mind, um, which is um, with with uh, basically about the tournament. So I, I know I talked about the tournaments last week. I didn't really give a lot of details. Like, oh, I missed the tournament, but then I participated in the tournament. So there's, there's three... Three official end tournaments for First Soldier. There were two team tournaments and then one solo tournament. The first team tournament, that was the one that I messed up the stream day for and did not actually stream it. And then I got, I was sick anyway, so it didn't really matter. That first team tournament I missed. Those are separate tournaments from the second team tournament that happened. So it was unrelated. You could could participate in all of them. Not a big deal. So I missed that first one. Second one, participated in, lost horribly. So the last one that's coming up, and this is the one I actually spent time trying to get into this week, is the solo tournaments. And for solo tournaments in First Soldier, they have qualification rounds. So 75 people, which is the max size for a game, are able to get qualified and get into those rounds. How it works is a bit different, though. It's not like the team's game where when you go into it, it's just, you know, can you get in the room? And then when you win, you win if you win kind of thing. It's a score-based um, tournament. So it's based around the score you get. So the qualification rounds are score-based and then the finals, as far as I understand, which have not happened yet, but by the time you're hearing this have happened, um, the finals are score-based, um, as well. So, uh, so how that works for the qualifications round is like, there's not really preset rounds that happened. What it was, was you just kind of queued up and you had to get a certain number of kills in a single match, which is really hard to do because the game's pretty dead right now. Um, which you could view as a positive or negative because at the end of the day, 99% of the things you're killing in that game right now are bots. And and those bots do not roam the world in real time. They 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 do a lot of trickery with those bots to make them seem like they come out of, you know, that they've been playing the game. But really most of the time they just kind of spawn in and they just kind of walk towards you kind of thing. Um, and they go after you. But like, like even the kill feed, if you see bots killing each other, they're not really killing each other. It's, it's just... Basically throwing them out. Saving resources. The more less things that are actually going on, the better. I don't blame them for doing this. This is just how it works, and it makes sense given the fact that they're not real players anyways. Um, but what this does for this tournament when there's not enough people playing is it makes it that it's a game about trying to spawn as many bots as possible to kill them, get a score, and then, and then qualify. And um, there's a lot of theories on how you actually spawn those bots, but 
I lucked out and I got tied for first place, so I was able to get in no problem. But it, it did take like 12 really boring games of me just basically bot farming as much as possible. So if you qualified, it was more of who had the patience to qualify and not so much who actually has the skill to qualify. <laughs> so anyways, um, so the rule set is basically the same for the final tournament, except for there are set tournament times. So the people who are joining in are joining in all at once. So you can't just win by just getting first. You have to win by getting a score, to my understanding. So you have to get first, which, which first does give you points. Basically counts as 15 kills. So it's a good thing to get. Kirby Dream Buffet mode. Excite Truck mode. Get those points. Come in first still. But killing other characters is going to be a big big thing too. And um, I checked the Discord recently for it. There's like a secret Discord that they invite you to. And so I, uh, I, as, at the time of my recording, there's about 62 people in there. So even though 75 people qualified, only 62 seem to have accepted the invitation. And I believe shortly after I'm recording this on a Friday, that window's going to close. Um, if, it may have already closed, actually, looking at the time. So it may have closed already. I just have to go look at it. But um, I don't think we're going to get all 75 people. But there'll be plenty enough people that I think bots will be a minority of those games. But bots, if they do allow bots to spawn, which I'm going to guess they're going to, hopefully not. Uh, maybe I'll ask that. There's like a question section. Um, they... Uh, they will be free points for people. And so at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You know, unlike previous tournaments, this is not for money or anything like this. This is just for, we're shutting the game down last hurrah kind of thing. Um, the actual game shut down is until January, but they're kind of rolling these things out, I think before the holidays, so they can kind of get it out of the way, then come back and then just shut the game down without having to organize a tournament in like the last week that the game's like up online, right? So there is like a fan tournament happening on the last day. I might participate in that as well. So anyways, uh, I want to talk about that a little bit just to clarify, because I felt like I hadn't done a very good job of clarifying what was going on with the Final Fantasy VII first soldier, soldier tournaments. Last, 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 last thing. I don't have a time up on my screen to see what the time actually is, so hopefully it hasn't been going on too long. But um, Chocobo GP. We talked about this game a while ago. I have a podcast highlight highlight I'm editing up for that, although I don't know when that will actually go up, honestly. Um, but if if you if 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 you haven't if you didn't hear me talk about Chocobo GP, Chocobo GP. This is that Mario Kart style racing game Square Enix put out. And if you didn't hear me talk about it, there's a very good chance you just heard it was a bad game because it was super microtransaction heavy, blah, 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 blah. I dispute all that personally. I understand where people are coming from. I understand why people focus so much on that. But the reality is, is that the game itself is a full video game. There's tons of content in there as is. Is it a good, as good as Mario Kart or like a Sonic Riders or, or even Sonic Riders, honestly, but a Sonic All-Star Racing Transformed? Absolutely not. But it is a like solid Final Fantasy racing game, I feel like, and it was fun for like the 12 hours I played. Um, but I hadn't been really uh, engaging with it because I had like season content and stuff. But you know me, I don't really like live games, right? So I uh, wasn't really paying attention to it. And the the whole thing that was like the problem with the first season pass is that cloud wasn't accessible unless you paid money for the season pass and then also played the game to get to a certain level to get cloud. And then after that was done, you couldn't get cloud anymore, which I think is still true. I don't think you can get cloud still. Um, however, it seems like after that first season, they took the feedback and reorganized how they were doing content. And as far as I can tell, for all in intents and purposes, now the content is basically all free. You do get characters from the season pass, 
but you can play the offline mode and you can buy those characters using the Grand Prix currency that you get from just playing through the standard game modes that you would in like a Mario Kart game, right? It's not about the Chocobo GP mode, which in my opinion is a bad mode already um, for a variety of reasons, but it's whatever. It's like the tournament mode and I don't think it's fun. I think it's whatever. It's I, I, I rather just play normal. I mean, this is true for regular Mario Kart. I just rather play normal, normal Grand Prix and just get through that and be like, cool, I got gold on every cup and then I'm done. Um, but you can buy all those characters with the currency you get from the Chocobo um, Grand Prix and the, which is not Chocobo GP. It's like the Chocobo, I've heard it's called, it's like the match races or something like that. But it, it is the Mario Kart Grand Prix, basically, the four races all at once, where the Chocobo GP mode is like a tournament mode where you get points and level ups and all that stuff that I just don't think, when I engaged with it during season one was not interesting. So anyways, I was really pleasantly surprised by how much free content was in there, how many more cups they've added. Um, they added more tracks. They all there's like maybe five or six additional characters since I last played. Again, Cloud is still not accessible. If you're gonna die by Cloud in that game, it's still not a game for you. But again, I kind of stand by it's one character in a racing game that by default already includes like 27 characters. So like to me, it doesn't really matter. Um, but anyways, I just was really pleasantly surprised. So season four is what's going on right now, but it's it, wrapping up. Um, so we're going to be doing, uh, uh, I'm going to be playing a little bit of season five, which is like the Christmas tournament, which adds the new Final Fantasy seven mid car track kind of thing. And so I'll probably play a little bit about that. Um, I will bring it on stream next week. So next week's stream plans, I guess we'll just get into the wrap up. So that's all I have to say about that. Pleasantly surprised by the Chocobo GP season pass content. Chocobo GP will probably come up in the Babylon's Fall video when that happens, just as a heads up. Um, because I, I feel like Chocobo GP is a great example of how like people do a really bad job of evaluating the weight of certain things in games. And they take like these really weird stances on things that oftentimes don't really matter. But anyways... At the end of the day, that whole thing aside, I know I'm a Square Enix apologist to some of you guys, which I totally understand. I just, I just, it's the whole thing. Um, but anyways, that's it for this week. Thanks for coming. Uh, for, for content plans for Patreon, we have that seeing article reading. I'll do that. Um, and then for the uh, stream this upcoming week. So last week we did um, uh, Kirby Tilt and Tumble. Played that through. We didn't beat it, unfortunately, which I think is actually probably for the best because I'm going to play through the rest of that game on a Game Boy Color and just get the experience of playing it in its original form intentionally rather than using the GameCube. That was a fun stream, though. So if you are interested in some like really silly gimmicks of me trying to manhandle this GameCube around on screen, I have a GameCube camera so you can see it and everything. Um, go check that out. But uh, this upcoming week, we're going to be playing the Mad, Maest Ma Mad Maestro. Christmas version. It's actually not Mad Maestro in name. It's Bravo Music, which is the Japanese name. I don't think the Christmas edition came out in the US, or if it did, it might be more expensive. I don't know. I just bought the Japanese version, which is fine. And all the dialogue is in uh, English, stuff like that. So, um, but uh, I'm going to be playing that on stream. I Again, I don't know if we'll finish that per se, um, but we'll at least play a chunk of it, maybe for like an hour or so. And I think after that, we'll play some Chocobo GP and just check out some Chocobo GP stuff. And I think that's what we'll do for our Christmas stream. And hopefully be a good time. Otherwise, um, yeah, if you're curious seeing more blue, um, I'm probably going to try to generally get um, the podcast highlight for the blue up on the YouTube channel pretty quickly because it's kind of timely. Um, so I'll go ahead and try to get that uploaded with footage. It might come out before this podcast, but I'm not making any guarantees because I got kind of a busy weekend, honestly. So I don't know for sure if I'll have to get that thrown together. I'm also, I don't have any blue music, unfortunately, which makes editing how I've been editing videos recently a little harder. So I'll kind of evaluate how hard it will be to record audio directly from the game itself. But I'm going to guess probably it's just going to be one of those ones with sound effects and things like that, which is fine. I, I kind of, I used to prefer sound effects because I, 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 I liked 
showing you the game kind of raw in some ways. But I think ultimately I like being able to control the vibe of the things I'm talking about a little bit more. And that's kind of why I shifted more to music kind of thing. So I could, you know, have those moments like the buddy mission bond video where I, I can gush about these characters and I can kind of like set the tone a little bit better versus, you know, if I'm gushing about the characters in the background, Mokumasan's going like Chesede or something like that. I don't know. That's more like Luke saying Chesede. Like I, I was like, I didn't know. I called Chelsea Chelsea in that video. Like technically everyone calls him Chesede, um, which is like, just like the weird Japanese way to say it. But like, I looked up the spelling and like in English it is Chesley or Ches Yeah. Chesley. So like, I, I don't know, but, um, or Chelsea, Chesley, I don't know. I'm all messed up now. It's Chelsea, I believe, is what it is. Actually, is it's been a while since I looked into that, but uh, that's why I went with Chelsea, Chesley, or Ch Chesley, because that was like the official English pronunciation. But like, I was looking at like the Aris Aerith situation, right? And like, how much do I stick to the original Japanese one, where you know they can't really figure out how to make this sound because their 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 language is different, right? So. Anyways, that's it, though. Thank you again so much for coming. OneControlPro.com is the website. I hope you have a great week. Bye.